Welcome in to the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. In the next week's episode, we'll be talking about the NFL, what's going down there. We will bring back our pretty successful NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. We will then discuss the NBA, what's happening there, and we will close out with our best for last. Now, as always, don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the Justin Time Sports Podcast on iTunes and Apple Music. Apple Music and Spotify, I'm sorry. And don't forget to follow the social media handle at JTimeSports for all of your breaking news and updates. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Welcome into the show. Um, right as I was about to start recording the show, we got a little bit of breaking news, NFL news. I was going to address one contract situation, but I'm going to address another one. Um, I'm going to give credit to CAA and Quentin Nelson as they got the deal done with the Indianapolis Colts um, for four years, $80 million, uh, which averages $20 million a year. And it also includes $60 million guaranteed, which makes him the highest paid guard in NFL history. So shout out to those guys. Um, shout out to that whole operation. He's, he is, in my opinion, the best guard in football. And he was paid as such. So shout out to Chris Ballard, the GM over there. Jim Ursay, the owner over in Indianapolis, willing to put that kind of money into escrow. Um, and shout out to, I'm sure, Frank Wright had a major hand in ensuring that that was the case. And plus, you look at the Colts, they're gonna be able to control salary for structure with their quarterbacks. Matt Ryan is older, he's on a controlled salary. Um, and then of course, uh, after that, they'll probably be looking at a rookie or somebody like that. And then they will ensure that that's on a controlled rookie contract as well, or a controlled salary rather. And so paying Quinn Nelson, paying anybody, this kind of contract extension money, um, it won't be a major issue. Uh, According to reports, he'll sign the deal tonight, and then of course he'll of course play tomorrow versus the Houston Texans. But leading into the story that I was going to lead into today uh, was the Lamar Jackson failed uh, contract extension, and um, that was big news because Lamar Jackson set an artificial deadline of Week One um, that he will not negotiate during the season. And then, of course, he ultimately um, set another deadline Friday before the season were to kick off. Um, and then what makes Lamar Jackson's situation interesting for a few reasons. Uh, pretty much everyone else in his draft class that was essentially eligible or that you think is worthy of an extension got an extension. Uh, Josh Allen being that guy. Of course, there's Josh Rosen in his draft class. Wasn't very good. Uh, Sam Donald's been now replaced on two different organizations. He's proven to be not very good. Then, of course, there was Lamar Jackson. There was Baker Mayfield, who is now the starter in Cleveland without a deal as well. Uh, ultimately, I don't think he's very good as well. But Josh Allen is in the same draft class as uh, Lamar Jackson, has signed a massive uh, six-year, $270-odd million contract extension. And yet, Lamar Jackson is struggling to secure a long-term deal from the Ravens. Now, reportedly, there has been offers on the table. Uh, recently, Lamar took to Twitter uh, to interact with fans, you know, fans who that played all the time, just accept the contract, whatever, or, you know, oh, we're reading that this report is, um, you got offered more than Kyler, why won't you just accept it? Uh, different, uh, things have been, uh, reported on both sides. So one of the major things Lamar Jackson did make abundantly clear when he refuted, um, a report or guy on Twitter saying that, oh, um, they, you got offered more than Kyler. And Lamar was like, no, they didn't. Um, which is incredible, which is to me is incredibly insulting. If you're Lamar Jackson, I can see why um, you took the Twitter to basically refute that report because that is one of those things where that's an insult. If you're Lamar Jackson, if you're in Lamar Jackson's camp, Kyler Murray has not accomplished nearly the things in this league that Lamar Jackson has accomplished. I mean, not nearly. 
Uh, Kyler Murray doesn't have a playoff victory. Lamar Jackson has at least one. Um, Kyler Murray has never been really in MVP discussion. He always shows up at the end of the year. Lamar Jackson has a unanimous MVP on his resume. So the fact that Lamar can refute on Twitter that they never even offered him what Kyler Murray ultimately received is an insult to uh, Lamar Jackson himself. But also, this brings me to my larger point. And the main reason I brought up this topic brings me to a larger point. Lamar Jackson is representing himself. And when a general manager, um, and they have a pretty smart group over there in Baltimore, when they sit down across from a player with no representation, that, or any organization really, that triggers in my mind, I can take advantage of this player. Whether that means I can give him less guaranteed money, whether that means I can tie up his guarantee language differently, whether that means that I can offer him less or convince, even convince self-doubt in him to where he would look for less money, uh, I can ultimately take advantage of this player. And that is what um, the Ravens are doing. Because I spoke about it uh, previously on the podcast and I said that it's a little different when you negotiate for yourself in terms of if you're a player, let's say you're a very successful player, let's say you're very successful in whatever you do, whether you're in the music industry, whether you are in the media, you're in uh, uh, any other business where having a representative to negotiate your salaries and your contracts, et cetera, is normal. If that representative does his job properly, typically you would never hear the negative. You would just hear something along the lines of, oh, you know, we're struggling to get a contract, but we'll get something done. Or, oh, you know, right now we're, we're working with the team, but you know, you have your number and we have ours and we're not gonna move up that number, etc. We're gonna fight to get you every dollar you deserve. You know, you don't hear the negative. The organization keeps telling you, man, we love to have you here. We're working with you. We're working on it with your agent. We'll get something done, we promise. Both sides keep a level of niceness to them. They keep a level of courteousness. When you think in your head, man, the organization has my back because they're working with my agent to try and give me the money I deserve um, by also making the team effort, you are positively, uh, you're creating positive reinforcement and positive imagery in your head with the team. However, when you're representing yourself, the team has to tell you to your face why they don't think you're worth Deshaun Watson's guaranteed contract, which is what reportedly Lamar Jackson wants. That he wants Deshaun Watson's got guaranteed $230 million over five. Reportedly, Lamar Jackson wants more guaranteed money in his deal than Deshaun Watson. His case can be similar to what I said his case was with Deshaun with uh, Kyler Murray. Now, Kyler Murray, now Deshaun Watson rather has a little bit more of a resume than Kyler Murray has in the playoffs. Uh, at one point, Deshaun Watson was up 24-0 on a Chiefs team that ultimately ended up winning the Super Bowl in the playoffs. Um, and so he has a little bit more of a playoff resume. It's a little more of a, a league resume, but he still does not have that MVP. Nonetheless, a unanimous MVP that Lamar Jackson has. So I can understand why he decided, or he's saying in his head, reportedly, that he wants more guaranteed money than Deshaun Watson. But going back to the central point, when you don't have representation, you have to hear that negative now. Because now that team has to look you in the face well, and tell you, well, Lamar, um, we, we don't think you're as accurate as you could be. We, we, we don't like your style of play. You're coming off an injury. Um, you start hearing all these negatives. You know, we they pull out this analytic number or shows against your accuracy. They pull out this analytic number. It shows how you play from behind. They, 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 they pull out this, they pull out that, and they, and they start showing you to your face, hey, it's not all rose petals and thorn and beautiful bushes of happiness and milk and honey. It's, 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 it's a lot of work, it's a lot of grime, it's a lot of things, like I said, we have to tell you why we don't think you're worth um, the Sean Watson guarantees, and apparently they have not even gotten to Kyler's contract yet, her last update from Lamar Jackson himself, like I said, via Twitter. Now, uh, Friday, of course, has come and gone. Uh, Lamar Jackson had a press conference, they, the first five or six questions um, was about the contract extension, and um, Eventually, they he and the media representatives got the uh, reporting media to just focus on the game coming up, which is the New York Jets. But that's going to hang over them all season. Lamar plays well. Oh, man, the price tag is going up. Lamar plays poorly. Man, what's wrong with Lamar? Is he trying to protect himself from injury? We noticed that his scrambles 
per game or down three? Is he trying to protect himself from injury? Is, you know, what what's going on there? Is he trying to up his value as a pocket passer? You know, what's happening there? So having this storyline over your team all year is going to be very interesting. And what makes the situation more of a thing, it doesn't go away after this year. Because now you have the ability to franchise tag him twice, really within reasonable of the cap. I mean, a third franchise tag is over 80 million against the cap. That's that's impossible. No player is worth 80 million against the cap, uh, especially when the cap, you know, nobody is worth one third of your cap. So having that being said, it is the storyline is not going to go away. Um, sure, the contract extension is going to go away this season for the most part, because, again, they're not negotiating during the season. It's not a situation like Dak and Jerry were negotiating with the Cowboys um, during the season. So they were uh, constantly moving the number, moving the chain. You know, new evidence weighed heavily in the decision. Um, however, because the Ravens are not doing that, the typical day-to-day minutia of how close the Ravens are with Lamar is going to be gone. But his play will be evaluated through the lens of if this is happening due to the contract. Um I said it before and I'll say it again. The most an agent can take from your contact is 3%. If you sign for $260 million, the agent at most, at most can get a little less than $8 million. You'll still pocket $252.2 million. Is that worth, is that, is this current lack of security, this current lack of um, support, is this current lack of Honestly, positivity amongst yourself and the organization worth um, not having, you know, worth $8 million, basically. That's the question I, I'm, I'm, I'm posing to Lamar. I would say no. I would say hire a, represent, a representative, uh, whether that be an agent just for this deal, a lawyer to look it over, etc. Somebody register under the, under the NFLPA. That way, again, the most that they can take from your contract is 3%. Um, and I would definitely just get the deal done. But of course, that won't be able to happen until the offseason, thanks to Lamar's personal request. Um, so he joins a list, uh, including Tom Brady next year, of extension eligible or free agent quarterbacks. Uh, Baker will be free for the, for all of his purposes um, of free agent quarterbacks next season. So we're very interested to see where the needle moves. Obviously, the Tyler Cap's going to jump up. Uh, maybe Lamar's ultimately planning to catch that last jump similar to what Kirk, Kirk Cousins did, and really lock in $300 million of guaranteed money. Uh, do the two franchise tags and then uh, your standard guarantees in an NFL deal. So we would definitely uh, keep our eye on that situation. We'll update you, of course, as much as possible. Obviously, there won't be many updates on the situation because he set an artificial deadline. But all in all, I say Lamar Jackson, just hire an agent, my man. Um, get the deal done. Like I said, $8 million versus $252 million. That's a trade-off you gotta ha- you're going to have to be willing to do here uh, to get this deal done. Uh, but he's gambling on himself. He's gambling on his body. The Ravens are in a similar spot. They're gambling on Lamar. John Harbaugh said he wants Lamar Jackson to be the quarterback there a long time, uh, that he's going to be the quarterback there a long time. But ultimately, this is a salary cap sport, and Lamar Jackson's in the business of Lamar Jackson. He is not in the business of maneuvering the Baltimore Ravens cap for them. But we would definitely keep our eye on that. But shifting gears, staying in the NFL, uh, leaving the contract, noise, minutia alone, the Bills and the Rams open the NFL season on Thursday night. Um, easiest bet in sports, the team playing the team raising the banner. It happens in the NFL almost every time the banner team plays horrible. Uh, even thinking back to the last year, the Buccaneers played bad. The Cowboys just played worse. Um, and so that is the easiest bet in sports. And you're adding on the fact that the Rams do not play guys in the preseason. Their first action in a game um, is week one. Now, of course, they participate in joint practices and things of that nature. But game speed, as we know, and practice speed, even if it's a joint practice, is a little bit different. Um, and so that is a situation where we are looking at the uh, Rams. Like I say, easiest bet in sports was that Bills team. Um, if you're a fan of football owner like myself, and you had Cam Akers like myself, you are none too happy with um, the decisions, the, the carries and the splits uh, for that nature for the Cam Akers through Sean McVay 
But looking at a few of the snaps, Cam Akers' head did not seem to be in there at all, which makes sense why Sean McVay ultimately pulled the guy he listed as his starter. On the bill side, Stephon Diggs and the rest of the crew absolutely worked Jalen Ramsey. Ramsey allowed a perfect passer rating and eight catches on nine targets for a buck 50 yards and a touchdown. Um, so Ramsey was absolutely torched. He even got beat really badly by um, Stephon Diggs. Josh Allen looks like the loss of Brian Dable will not hurt too, too badly. Uh, Ken Dorsey was the QB coach the past few years, so it makes sense they have a pretty solid relationship. Um, even though, like I said, Brian Dable was his play caller, him and Ken Dorsey have a pretty solid relationship. So I'm definitely going to be interested in seeing how that develops for the Buffalo Bills. Now, this week, in a way, has been nicknamed Revenge Week. Because uh, there's two major revenge games. And, of course, you know, we'll talk about more games in our Jacks pack, uh, which is our, uh, six, our NFL betting segment. Well, I'll pick against the spread. We'll talk about that in a second. But it's affectionately called Revenge Week um, because the major revenge of the week, Baker Mayfield recently traded during the offseason from the Cleveland Browns, opens his Carolina Panthers career in his new home, in his new home stadium um, in Carolina against those very Cleveland Browns. And the Browns would do so, of course, without embattled quarterback Deshaun Watson as he was suspended for the first 11 games due to his sexual misconduct allegations. So the Browns will start Jacoby Brissett against Baker Mayfield and the Carolina Panthers in Carolina. Now, of course, Baker Mayfield was traded for during the offseason. He beat out Sam Donald in the quarterback competition. Um, and therefore, he is the starter in Carolina. Now, this game is in the Jacks pack, so we will not pick it. Uh, but it is a very interesting game. It'll come down to pretty much how um, amped up will Baker be, how much he's able to control his emotions. Same thing versus the Cleveland Browns, though. They, they hear Baker talking about how he's going to F them up. Uh, they hear a lot of reports saying that, man, uh, Baker is going to carve right through that Browns defense. The Browns have no chance. They basically punted a year with Deshaun Watson. They should have kept Baker, etc., etc. So that defense will have a lot to prove and a lot to work on. And then the other revenge game, which is also in our Jacks pack, so we would not pick it, is that Joe Flacco uh, filling in for an injured Zach Wilson as quarterback of the Jets. He gets to face his old team, a team that he went to and won the Super Bowl with, the Baltimore Ravens, actually doing a very similar contractual strategy as Lamar Jackson. Um, a team he went to and won the Super Bowl with in the Baltimore Ravens, they will play each other uh, in New York. And so neither one of their revenge quarterbacks gets to go to the home uh, stadium of their old team, but they do play their old team and they would get a chance to prove that maybe they should have still been the guy. Well, okay, okay. Joe Flacco's case, he was never going to be the guy once they drafted Lamar Jackson. But Baker Mayfield is going to try to show that, A, you traded for a quarterback who can't even play for 11 weeks. And B, uh, you should have never gotten rid of me anyway. Because look what I can do on the field. And then the game, the big game that is not in the Jacks pack, but we will pick it. Um, is it is it Tampa Bay Bucks at the Dallas Cowboys? Now this game is the marquee game of the week that's not in the Jacks pack. Um, I will again I will give you my winner because it is not in Jacks pack, which is against the spread, and that's the thing we keep a running total of uh, during the season to ensure that uh, to check rather how our results are doing against the spread. Um, but Tom Brady recently has gone through the offseason turmoil. He missed. 11 days during uh, the preseason, reportedly for family, um, and then reports started to come out. I couldn't confirm the validity of these reports that Giselle Bunchen, uh, his wife, is very unhappy with him and the fact he decided to continue playing. She thought once he announced his retirement, that was truly going to be it. And yet he decided to make his triumphant return to the NFL, to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, and that is the reason why Tom took the 11 days off to spend quality time with Giselle and the kids. Now, um, I've come to the conclusion that Tom Brady does want does want to continue playing football. He just does not want to do it in Tampa Bay. Um, if you if you read the tea leaves, think about it. his head coach leaves, uh, or was going to stay, but then when Brady came back, he leaves. But 
Brady was talking to the Miami Dolphins owner, uh, Mr. Ross, Stephen Ross. Um, he was talking to the Miami Dolphins owner about potentially joining uh, the Dolphins team in some sort of capacity, either ownership or playing. Sean Payton was also in talks with Stephen Ross as well to join the Miami, uh, to become the head coach of the Dolphins, uh, which would have been the second location that Sean Payton and Tom Brady attempted to team up because they were going to do so in New Orleans when Brady was leaving New England. But um, Drew Brees decided to make a return. And so that thwarted the plan of Sean Payton to bring in Tom Brady uh, to run the Saints offense and to lead the organization. Um, but I just don't think Tom wants to be in uh, Tampa Bay anymore. But we are definitely going to see um, a different time, I think. I, I believe he, he he doesn't think this team can win a title. I don't think this team can win a title. The sports better seem to kind of think they can win a title. So we are definitely going to see about that. But on the flip side in Dallas, you've got Ezekiel Elliott kind of playing for his NFL future here. I believe his contractual guarantees run out very, very soon, either this year or next year. Um, if you look at Dak Prescott, he's coming off a year where pretty much people considered a bunch of stat stuff in year. Are you about to hear my timer for the first segment go off? Um, so we, of course, we run through our first timer. We're gonna blow right through it just a little bit. Uh, we're gonna keep that train rolling. But you got Dak Prescott. Many people consider that a stat stuffing season. You have Mike McCarthy with two NFL head coaches, in my opinion, on his staff, um, and Kellen Moore, the OC, and Dan Quinn, the DC. Um, You've got C.D. Lamb, who now has to take over as the pure number one, after the, obviously after the trade of Mark Cooper to the Cleveland Browns. Um, and like I said, so it's a lot of things to prove in Dallas. Uh, it's in Dallas. It is in Cowboy Stadium, and it will be a Tampa Bay victory. It'll be close. Uh, I'm thinking 27-23. Uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks ultimately squeak out on a, either a late Tom Brady drive or Dak uh, and the Cowboys make a fatal mistake late and ultimately tip the favors back to the Tampa Bay Bucks. But I've got the Bucks winning the game 27-23. Uh, I believe the point spread was three and a half, which is the reason why I stayed away from it. I didn't like the number. Um, admittedly, week one is a hard thing to bet because um, the numbers are basically based on preseason of last year. And until you see a team, it's kind of hard to get that number. But again, I would have Bucks winning 27-23. Now up next, we're going to jump into our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. to jump into our NFL set betting segment, Jags Pack. Now in this segment, we are using the ESPN app for the odds. Uh, we're picking against the spread. Didn't do hot last year. We ended up finishing about 50% if you include the playoffs. Um, so we broke about even non-profitable year. Not great. Uh, I do place a little bit of wager on these. Nothing crazy. Uh, but I do have skin in the game along with you guys. I'm not just throwing out numbers so that you guys can be like, oh, he's just picking random games. Um, I am putting a little bit of skin in the game um, on these wagers. Personally, I'm a parlay guy. Um, I like putting two or three of them together in a parlay. Ups your winnings a little bit. Ups your risk as well, but it ups your winning a little bit. But ultimately, uh, I do have just a little bit of skin in the game again all odds provided by the espn app literally right before i record i uh, check to make sure i get the final numbers they're as accurate as possible i'm recording late saturday night so of course you guys will be getting a pretty accurate number maybe the line moves a half a point um between now and then um but this will come out sunday morning uh, so if you guys jump right on and listen you'll be able to get the numbers for all the games um in week one 
and it's pretty much happening every week so again you'll be able to come on sunday morning and get the numbers uh for that week but as always we pick five games uh we pick the five games that truly we fall in love with the most um uh, and the ones we think we can be of course get right um, so if, we're going to start off first with the Jacksonville Jaguars at the Washington Commanders. Commanders minus three, which is pretty much the home foot advantage three. Take the Commanders here. Um, and the reason why I say that is they have a little bit more of a veteran defense. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars, I think, are going to have a much explosive, much more explosive offense from last year. Of course, you've left the Urban Meyer area, era and you've transitioned into Doug Peterson, who won a Super Bowl with uh, Nick Foles in the in uh, Philadelphia. But Washington has a little bit more of a veteran defense. You look at a guy in uh, Chase Young will not be there, but you look at a Jonathan Allen. You look at a Deron Payne. Uh, you look at a Kyle Fuller. Um, you look at these guys who have experience on that defense. Ron Rivera is one of the best defensive play callers and schemers in the world. Um, and Doug Peterson's really implementing a new system. Who knows what that timing looks like? Um, but you can flip on the other side and say the commanders are dealing with similar too with Carson Wentz. I just ultimately think being at home will ultimately make the difference. Um, I like it at three. Wouldn't have picked it at three and a half at all. Um, so I've got the Washington Commanders winning this game 24-20. Um, both quarterbacks have pretty decent days. And neither one going really insane. Week one jitters will get to a couple of people, but I've got Washington winning, uh, winning 24 to 20. Up next, we have the Cleveland Browns at the Carolina Panthers. This game is an even, pretty much in order to win. You need to pick the winner. Uh, the game's a pick em, and I've got the Cleveland Browns winning the game. Now, I know the trendy pick right now is to pick Baker Mayfield and his revenge story against the Carolina Panthers. Let's take a step back. Just take a step back. If you didn't have all the storyline, if you didn't have all the other stuff going on with you, and you just looked at these rosters position by position, who would you pick to win the game? Quarterback? Brissett and Baker? Probably wouldn't what? Baker's a little bit better, but it's not miles better. Let's go to running backs. Cleveland. Uh, Christian McCaffrey is typically hurt. Cleveland boasts Nick Chubb, who's better than Christian McCaffrey, and Kareem Hunt, who was right in the same league as Christian McCaffrey. Wide receivers? Let's see. DJ Moore is pretty good. Robbie Anderson's solid. Terrence Marshall's not a bad number three. Flippers on the other side, Amari Cooper. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones. Okay, Carolina may have a slight edge of receiver. Tight end? Cleveland. They got Njoku and Austin Hooper. Offensive line? Cleveland. Defensive line? Cleveland. Secondary? Cleveland, linebacker, Cleveland. And, and there, there's no quarterback. I'll give you quarterback. I'll give you receiver. You may can get DB. But in terms of most of the positions on the field, the, the clearly better team is the Cleveland Browns. So I am going to go with the Cleveland Browns to win that game. And, of course, because the pick them ultimately cover the spread because they will win the game. Next game on the list is the other big revenge game. It is the Baltimore Ravens against uh, at the New York Jets. Take the Baltimore Ravens here. Look, the Ravens are going to do one thing. They're going to play defense well. And because they're going to play defense well, Lamar Jackson's got something to prove with the contract situation. They got rid of Hollywood Brown, which they believe was uh, addition by subtraction. You pull in. Of course, Mark Andrews is back. You're getting a little healthier. You will be without Ronnie Staley, but it's not like the Jets are the most uh, functional organization. The Jets may not score 10. Uh, they might get 13. But then you're telling me that all the Ravens have to do is get the 20. I think the Ravens do a lot more than 20. I've got the Ravens win this game 27 to 13. Um, of course, easily covering the spread and the Baltimore Ravens uh, open their season with a victory. Up next, I have the Philadelphia Eagles at the Hard Knocks New, oh, sorry, the Hard Knocks Detroit Lions. Uh, Lions plus five, take the Lions here. I believe this game is going to be close. Look, the Eagles do have weaponry everywhere. Of course, you have A.J. Brown now added to the mix with a Devontae Smith, uh, with a Miles Sanders, with a Jalen Hurts at quarterback, um, with the Dallas Goddard at tight end. You have a pretty good batch of weaponry. Uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles. 
However, I don't believe in Jalen Hurts, the pure pocket passer. I believe he has to make most of his damage with that playmaking ability. And the Lions looked really good in the hard knocks. I know people fall for the hard knocks tail of banana in the tailpipe trick, but you have people betting Super Bowl money on them. I'm really betting week one um, to keep it under five. I actually think the Lions have a chance to win this game outright. Uh, Jared Goff is a much better pocket passer than Jalen Hurts is. The best pass rusher on the field is rookie Aiden Hutchinson for the Detroit Lions. Um, the best running back on the field uh, is DeAndre Swift for the Detroit Lions. So, with that being said, this will not be just an easy pushover game. I can see 27-24 Eagles, but that would be under the five points. And so, I would take Lions plus five. And then the last game is a rematch of week 18. Um, where the Raiders ultimately kept the Chargers out of the playoffs by defeating them. Um, this would be a rematch of week 18. Uh, the Chargers are getting three and a half points here. I say take the Raiders. Um, or the Chargers are giving up three and a half points here. I say take the Raiders. If the number was three, I wouldn't have got anywhere near it. I just think the Chargers ultimately do win the game, but they win it by about a field goal. 34-31 uh, would be the scores I would be looking at. The Raiders won't be able to jail their defense fully um, just because they're bringing a lot of new pieces. Darren Waller just signed a new contract extension. How focused was he this season during his offseason training? Um, and you look at the Chargers. They bring in a J.C. Jackson, even though he's not going to play week one. You bring in um, different people to come and fill gaps and fill holes in your organization. Justin Herbert's going up another year. Brandon Staley's gotten rid of those first-year coaching blunder decisions. And so that is going to be definitely something to keep our eye on um, in Los Angeles. So we're going to run through them one more time. You have the Jacksonville Jaguars at Washington. Washington minus three. Take Washington. You have the Cleveland Browns at Carolina. And a pick them. Take the Cleveland Browns. You have the Baltimore Ravens at the New York Jets. Jets plus six and a half. Take the Ravens. You have the Eagles at Lions. Lions plus five. Take the Lions. And the Raiders at the Chargers. The Chargers minus three and a half. Take the Raiders. But up next, we're going to shift to the NBA and talk about what's going down there. show and now we're going to shift to the nba and talk about what's going on there we're going to start off with patrick beverly and his introductory press conference uh, his first few media moments with uh, as an official member of the los angeles lakers um so of course he's patrick beverly so things are always a little bit more hilarious in the moment than they should be um, and the first thing was that a reporter asked, first big thing that blew up nationally, was that a reporter asked, hey, Patrick, um, you get an opportunity to play with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And before the reporter he even finished the follow, the, finish the rest of the question, Patrick Beverly jumps in and says, no, no, they get a chance to play with me. I made the playoffs last year. They didn't. It's a difference. And it's just like, it, it threw the reporter for a loop there for a second. Um, and then, of course, um, you go a little bit further along, he does his official media press conference and uh, big time media days. And uh, Russ tosses him a towel, Russell Westbrook tosses him a towel, and he laughs and says, first assist of the year, a first dime of the year, something like that. It's just like, never changed Patrick Beverly. Um, and now there's reports they're gonna play together. Uh, there's reports that Russell Westbrook's gonna come off the bench, which I do not see happening. Um, there's stuff like Russ may start, Patrick may finish. If I'm the Los Angeles Lakers, in an ideal world, I don't finish either one of them on the floor. Um, now Patrick Beverly does have a career near 40% catch and shoot three point shooter, which is huge if you're gonna play with LeBron James. Uh, obviously, that is what LeBron James likes to do kick to the corners, kick to the wings, and have shooters ready to go uh, to knock down those shots. 
So obviously that would be uh, huge to finish on the court with uh, LeBron James, especially when you consider Russell Westbrook shot an abysmal three-point percentage last year. Um, Anthony Davis shot an abysmal three-point percentage last year when he was even on the floor. And so having a guy like Patrick Beverly would be huge. Um, they moved to Taylor Horton Tucker, who I kind of had penciled in to the finishing lineup. Had they decided to move Taylor Horton Tucker last year, the year before, they means to have Alex Caruso. Um, but hey, uh, Rob Polinka made a decision. That was his decision. But when you look at the Los Angeles Lakers, you look at a Patrick Beverly, you look at Anthony Davis, you look at a LeBron James, you look at a Russell Westbrook, uh, you look at a Damian Jones, you look at a Scottie Pippen Jr., uh, you look at some of these guys that they are able to bring in. Kendrick Nunn should be back playing heavier minutes um, because he was out all last year with the, with a lower body injury. So now you get Kendrick Nunn back. Uh, the Los Angeles Lakers are pretty much they're pretty much LeBron and Anthony Davis dependent. Um, they've been healthy one time for the vast majority of the year, and that was the lockout year. Uh, it was the COVID year, rather, where they were not able to play for three months. Who knows how they healed their bodies, got those guys in the bubble um, prepared and ready to go. They were able to maintain their health and ultimately deliver a championship. Uh, the other years in this LeBron, LA, Anthony Davis joining him experiment, LeBron was, ne was not healthy in any of the years. Anthony Davis was not as well. Um, so that is something that the Lakers are going to have to keep an eye on. I thought they would push for more depth in the offseason, especially at the wing position, due to the fact that they're two best players in wings and not as durable as they used to be. Um, or Anthony Davis, not durable at all. LeBron, not as durable as he used to be. Uh, so I thought they would push for some sort of uh, depth at the wing. Obviously, you cannot replace either one of those two, but having a, comp a, a decent body behind them may lessen the blow. Uh, for the organization but ultimately that did not happen but Patrick Beverly is making all sorts of new media friends uh, in Los Angeles with his witty responses uh, great commentary and all around Patrick Beverly demeanor which never changes never falters never wavers uh, for anybody or anything gotta love that the Eurobasket is in full-fledged uh, full-fledged competition over in Europe, the Eurobasket is basically like, you know, a world, the European Cup for soccer. It's when all the European countries, you see uh, Slovenia with Luka Doncic, you see Germany with Dennis Schroeder, you see Greece with Giannis and his brothers, uh, you see Serbia with Nikola Jokic, um, and I believe Goran Dragic is on the Slovenian team as well. Um, you see uh, Rudy Gobert leading the French team. Uh, so a lot of these top teams, um, a played in the same group they called it the group of death and B a lot of these top teams uh, feature superstar or star or all-star um, level players uh, on their teams uh, like I said I, I just listed five for sure or six for sure that are really good um, NBA players some of them are great like Giannis and Luka uh, and Jokic others are really good like Gobert uh, Schroeder's a solid NBA player and should be on the NBA roster. That's why the Lakers have not reached out to him. Um, but the Eurobath is a fun competition because it's pure, it's pure FIBA rules. You've got the crowds getting into it, the international crowds getting into it. You've got all of the passion and the pompous uh, that you would want out of a European soccer match. You're getting in a basketball court. You're dealing with high-level basketball. Uh, some of the shots Luka has made over there has been absolutely ridiculous. Gobert dunked on Luka. Uh, Jokic is being Jokic. Uh, Giannis is being flat-out Superman at times for Greece, trying to carry them through the Euro basket. Um, but this has been a marvelous tournament. Absolutely great to keep my eye on and to even watch a few clips whenever I can. Um, but big, big, big kudos to um, the Eurobaskets. It's definitely been fun level basketball. Even like I said, they're across the pond. So their late games are coming out early here. It's, it's just really weird. Sometimes getting his timing and a schedule right. But again, kudos uh, to the Eurobasket for putting on a show. And of course, we're going to wrap up the NBA segment with the... Um, NBA, the basketball, the Naismith Basketball 
Hall of Fame class of 2022. Uh, it was headlined by San Antonio Spurs great Manu Ginobili, uh, veteran uh, multi-team player Tim Hardaway Sr., I, uh, w, and then WNBA legends uh, Swin Cash, who's currently working in player development. I believe she's the president of player development uh, with the, with uh, my favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans. And then um, you have Lindsey Whalen, a multi-time WNBA champion with uh, the Minnesota Lynx. I believe she's the head coach right now of the Minnesota Gophers girls basketball team. If she is not, my sincerest apologies for that. Uh, same thing with Swin, Ta Swin Cash. If I got your um, title wrong with the Pelicans, my sincerest apologies as well. Um, but uh, in terms of those are the headliners. And then, of course, you finish with Bob Huggins, longtime uh, men's basketball coach for the college ranks, most notably of um, West Virginia. You've got George Carl, who's had a longtime NBA coach, most notably of the Sonics and the Nuggets. Um, and then you have Miss Marianne Stanley as well. Um, but heading back to the headliners, man, Manu Ginobili. Was one of, it was one of the pillars of the San Antonio Spurs dynasty. It was Parker Ginobili and Duncan. Or Ginobili, Duncan Ginobili, Duncan Parker Ginobili um, was the trio. Those three guys played absolutely out of their minds. They played for the perfect coach for them and Greg Popovich in a system that was designed by Popovich under a GM uh, that wasn't looking for guys to take their shine, but was simply looking for guys to compliment them. Um, so good job in building the team as well in order to complement those guys. Tim Hardaway Sr. was a part of the uh, original modern uh, Golden State Warriors uh, capture. So of course, Clay, Clay, Steph, and Draymond um, is the big three of the Warriors today. Maybe not necessarily in the order, but the big three of the Warriors today. Uh, in in previous years, it was Run TMC, um, featuring Tim Hardaway, uh, Chris Mullen, and I cannot think of the M right now to save my life. But it was Run TMC, also by um, the Golden State Warriors. They were a quintessential elite level trio in the NBA. Uh, ultimately, they end up breaking up, of course. Um, but. That was the first original big time trio in the uh, NBA. Tim Hardaway was a big part of that. Swin Cash, a WNBA legend. Like I said, she has transitioned into the NF NBA front office seamlessly. Um, WNBA legend, absolutely a great player. Uh, was overshadowed that time by Cynthia Cooper. They were in the league pretty much at the same time. Uh, Lisa Leslie was also a superstar in the WNBA early. Um, Tina Thompson etc so um swing cash did get overlooked a little bit but i'm glad that she is going to the naismith basketball hall of fame for her contributions not only on the court but off the court as well and then of course lindsey whalen i believe she's a four-time WNBA champion with the minnesota lynx um she is she was she was the point guard to that team uh that was sylvia files that was rebecca brunson that was simone augustus that was um maya moore but but um the big um the point guard of it was lindsey whalen she got everybody in control she got everybody into every situation that could be great uh for them to succeed in and so uh kudos to lindsey whalen for being such an amazing point guard but up next we're going to shift to our best for last which is going to be a talk about the battle of baton rouge Welcome back into the show and welcome into Best for Last of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. And in this Best for Last, we're going to talk about the Battle of Baton Rouge. 
or so it was dubbed. It is the uh, game between uh, Louisiana State University and Southern University, both schools located in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, separated by about 11 miles as the crows fly. Um, which, as the crows fly, I mean, without taking without having to take interstates or roads, if you were able to go straight there via helicopter or a plane, or as of, like that the crows fly, the bird would fly, it is separated by about 11 miles. Uh, these schools have existed in the same city for over 100 years, and they have never played each other in football. Um, they've never really even co-mingled in sport. You know, they did one time in 2004, in the year 2004, when LSU was coming off the national championship victory under Nick Saban, and Pete Richardson led Southern to the Black College Football National Championship in the same season. Um, and so there was a joint parade, a joint band performance. Both teams got keys to the city. It was a mass parade um, through downtown Baton Rouge. And it was uh, it was said like, man, how, you know, no other city can boast this, can boast two really good football programs in the same city. Uh, states often trying to do with Auburn and Alabama. Of course, you got California with their schools and et cetera. But being able to boast two champions, two national champions from the same city, uh, has, I don't think it's ever been done before and I don't think it's been ever done since. Uh, something that Baton Rouge has on its resume, on its sports resume. But the schools play for the first time in football. They play at LSU, of course. Um, and it, the game sold out. All the 102,321 tickets were indeed sold. They panned the crowd. I don't ever think it was full. I don't ever think it got the full 102,000 in the building. I think maybe at most it got to my about 90,000. I, I saw it, I saw seats, you know, every time they scanned the crowd, but um, still it sold every single ticket. The bands end up doing an impromptu 30. They figured out in 30 minutes how to uh, get together and plan the a joint halftime. So uh, the human jukebox goes first. And then LSU, uh, Golden Band from Tigerland takes the field. And then the Human Jukebox of Southern and the Golden Band from Tigerland do a joint performance, pretty much of the Cupid Shuffle, uh, while making Giant Heart with 225 on the field, which of course is the area code for Baton Rouge. Um, but I was able to drive through campus um, during the tailgating festivities. It was about one o'clock local time. The game kicked off at about 6.30. If you know anything about LSU tailgates, especially LSU tailgate and a Southern tailgate, they start the night before or two nights before. About 1 p.m. the day of, they're in full force. Um, so I was able to drive through campus, took a lap pretty much all the way around campus, um, and it was beautiful to see. And it truly exemplified what a lot of the politicians were saying, a lot of people that worked in the area and in the community were saying, this is bigger than the game. The game is the game. The final score ended up being 65-17 LSU. Uh, LSU put up 37 points in the first quarter. The, the, the game was the game, and everybody pretty much knew what was going to happen in the game. Um, and I think even the point spread in Vegas was like 44 and a half or something like that. Um, so the game is the game. But ultimately, uh, what was it about was about the community coming together. I haven't heard, and I have you know family uh, and friends in Baton Rouge. I haven't heard anything about violence. I haven't heard anything about misconduct. Um, there's only been two incidents. The first incident being that the Mike the Tiger statue was spray painted uh, with blue letters on it. To me, it kind of struck as someone trying to create a storyline, um, trying to create something. I don't know if a Southern fan could have done it, but to me, it struck me as somebody trying to create a storyline, trying to create drama between the fan bases. Um, and then the second thing was that some random guy, some random kid, um walked onto the field and he just kind of casually strolled onto the field and watched the play from field level uh was able to watch a play um from the field he was just standing about the 10 yard line the play was happening if you watch the video the play's happening probably maybe 10 yards away from where he was standing um he looked pretty zoned out of his mind he was just walking around looking around like taking it all in from the field so he'll get a pretty decent fine um, and get released tonight after he dries out a little bit but that was the only thing that was weird in terms of uh, the game it was beautiful to see you saw southern fans walking through LSU's camp you saw LSU fans obviously in their usual spots you saw people uh, flying both flags flying LSU and southern flags you saw 
you were flying LSU Southern and Saints flags. It, it became a celebration of the city about the two about the two cultures coming together. Uh, Southern being a HBCU, obviously LSU being a PWI. Um, the two cultures coming together, the cities coming together, North and South Baton Rouge. Um, you know, North Baton Rouge kind of converges on the South Baton Rouge, where LSU is located. Um, to celebrate, like I said, not only the sport of football, but to celebrate the city. Uh, it was an amazing event to even drive through, like I said, uh, to drove, like I said, get a lap around campus by a car. Um, and it was insane to see. Uh, predictions was about 200,000 people were gonna be on campus. As I was on, I left campus around three something. I can almost guarantee you it was over 200,000 people there. And people were still trying to come on campus. Um, absolutely insane. Amazing that again, the game had collaboration between the bands. Um, it had collaboration between the fans. You saw LSU tents next to Southern tents. You, like I said, you saw LSU flags and Southern flags on the same truck. It was just absolutely amazing to see that a lot of people wore joint shirts where it would have a LSU, a Tiger on one side and a Southern Jaguar on the other side. And, um, like I said, it was just amazing to see. I saw one guy had on a Southern shirt with blue, with, with yellow uh, pants and LSU hat on. And so it was just like, you know, you got to see that sort of collaboration throughout the city. And that was definitely wonderful and beautiful to see um, throughout Baton Rouge. Like I said, I was born and raised there, was there until I moved uh, for my new coaching job, which we got our first win on Friday, um, then I moved there. So that was amazing to see a game I thought I would never see a moment I thought I'd never see where I was able to see it. Uh, so that is absolutely spectacular. But that is all we have for today. I thank you guys for joining me. Like I said, this will, is recorded Saturday night. Uh, it will come out early Sunday morning. So I hope you guys keep an eye out for that. If you have my post notifications, uh, if you follow me, turn my post notifications on Twitter and IG. If you are not following me, uh, don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And don't forget to uh, follow the social media handle at JTime Sports. I repeat, at JTime Sports for all your breaking news. Uh, and I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. This is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.